Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Christopher Anderson, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast, helping attorneys achieve more success. We're glad you can listen today on the Legal Talk Network. I'm your host, Christopher Anderson, and I'm an attorney with a singular passion for helping other lawyers be more successful with their law firm businesses. I work directly with lawyers across the country to help them achieve success as they define it. In the Unbillable Hour, each month we explore an area important to growing revenues, giving you back more of your time, and improving your professional satisfaction in one of the key areas of your business. I'm an attorney who has built and managed law firms in Georgia and New York City. I've created innovative software for lawyers with LexisNexis, and now I work with hundreds of law firm owners to help them grow professionally and personally. Your law firm business should exist to provide for the financial, personal, and professional needs of you, its owner. In this program, I have a chance to speak to you, as I do in presentations across the country, about what it takes to build and operate your law firm like the business that it is. I have a chance to introduce you to a new guest each month to talk about how to make that business work for you instead of the other way around. Today's episode of the Unbillable Hour is the seven parts of your law firm business. The seven parts of your law firm business is a topic taught by R. John Robbins to lawyers all across the country. And R. John and I actually work together to help lawyers achieve these levels of success for their business. And R. John's going to walk us through how these seven parts of every law firm business work together. And if you put them into balance, how they help the business work for you. R. John Robbins uh, founded How to Manage a Small Law Firm back in 2009 and has been working with small law firms across the country ever since, helping them to achieve doubling, tripling, quadrupling their revenues, but all the same time giving them more control of their personal lives and helping them achieve the professional accomplishments that have evaded them up until then. Without further ado, let me bring R. John Robbins. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for having me here. Very welcome. It's really exciting uh, to have you on the Unbillable Hour um, and to talk uh, with listeners about the, the seven parts of a law firm and how they work together. Before we get started on that, I gave you a very brief introduction. Can you just elaborate a little bit on, on your business and how it helps lawyers? Sure. Uh, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to do so. Um, the business is called How to Manage a Small Law Firm. Our tagline is Happy Lawyers Make More Money. And there's a misconception among our fellow attorneys, I'm an attorney also, that you struggle and you suffer and you sacrifice and you, and you go through all of this in order to achieve some sort of arbitrary financial goal that you set out for yourself at one time. You get to that goal and all of a sudden, you're supposed to be happy. But that's not the way it works in the real world. The way it works in the real world is... You build a business, you build a law firm as a business into something that can help you share your message with the world, that can help you help more people, that can help your clients to have a better life by helping them solve their legal problems, uh, by helping your staff to have a better life, 
by advancing their career and, and making their lives better by by doing a great job for you and making a profit for your firm, and that's how they earn their income and get their raises, uh, to give you and your family a great life. And when you build a business the right way and it works for you, a byproduct of it is it makes a profit. But it's the business working the way it's supposed to be working that empowers you to do the work that you really enjoy most and do good in the world that ultimately is really what makes us happy. You know, if the business is serving your financial and your personal and your professional goals, you get up and you keep going. And the byproduct of the whole thing is the profits. So How to Manage a Small Law Firm was basically created with the idea of liberating my fellow attorneys by teaching the best practices when it comes to the business of running a law firm so that the law firm can make us happy and profitable. Fantastic. So let's roll right into understanding what each of those parts is uh, to help the listeners just get a taste for what goes into making a successful law firm business that can lead them to be a more happy lawyer. So what's the first part of a good law firm business? As you mentioned, there's seven main parts of every successful law firm. And it's important that everyone understand that these are the same seven main parts of every unsuccessful law firm, too. They're the same seven main parts. The difference between what you find when you go into a successful solo or a small law firm versus a solo or a small law firm where the owner is struggling financially, working too many hours, unpredictable cash flow, unpredictable flow of prospective new clients, so they feel pressure to take crazy clients who they know they shouldn't be taking, and all those other kinds of problems that, 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 that go with an unsuccessful law firm. The difference is the degree to which these seven main parts are understood, identified, planned out, and kept in alignment. It's the same with a successful law firm or unsuccessful law firm. You want me to cover what they are? Yeah, yeah. I think what you just said was a great correction uh, to what I said, because I said, what, what are the seven parts of a good law firm? But you, it's really important to understand they're always there. They're just not always in balance. So yeah, let's lay them out, and then let's spend just a couple of minutes on what each one is and how they work together. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. But first, I just want to mention that a lot of people think that these seven main parts of a law firm are somehow prescribed by how to manage a small law firm.com. They're not prescribed by us. They've been observed by us over the past uh, 12 or 15 years with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of law firms that we've worked with. We're reporting what we're observing. We're not telling you that this is the way it should be. We're telling you this is just the way we've observed that it is. The seven main parts are the marketing. Number two is the sales. Number three is the production. That's how the work, where and how the processes, the systems, the procedures, the checklist, the templates, how the work actually gets done Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't ruin your life. Uh, Number four is the people, the people that you've got to have working with you to help you get the work done. The physical plant is number five. That's, well, we'll get into the specifics of what the physical plant is, I guess, later. Uh, Number six is the financial controls of the law firm. And number seven is really you as the owner of the firm. You are the seventh main part. So it's marketing, sales, production, people, physical plant, financial controls, 
and you as the owner. Those are the seven main parts. Excellent. So let's start with, is it okay to start with marketing? We can start anywhere you like. Okay. Well, let's, let's do that. So let, let's begin with marketing and why is marketing a part and how is it important to the operation of a successful law firm? Well, the most critical part of the success of a law firm is actually the sales. Okay. Because if you're not converting prospective clients into paying clients, you're going to go out of business. Just makes intuitive sense. But, but marketing is what brings the prospective clients to the door in the first place. And so what we see happening, if the marketing isn't done in a systematic, organized, thoughtful, intelligent way, it, it, what happens is the clients come and they go, and they come and they go, and they come and they go, and herky-jerky, in and out, on and off, on and off. And you know, it's like driving in a car with someone who keeps hitting the gas, hitting the brakes, hitting the gas, hitting the brakes. It, it drives you crazy. What happens is if the sales process is being fed a supply of prospective new clients in this way, the sales process starts to not have the opportunity to be selective about who to accept or not accept as a client. And what you end up with is, oh my God, we're desperate for business. So even though this person who's come in the door is clearly a bad client, clearly an F client with an F case or matter, and they're just giving off all the bad vibes, we have to take them anyway because we got to make payroll at the end of the week or we got to make the rent at the end of the month or whatever. And it's all because the marketing is not being done in a smooth, consistent, predictable, reliable, methodical way. Marketing is everything that gets done to deliver prospective new clients to the door. It's interesting. Most people think about marketing as like what you said, to bring clients to the door, but having it be consistent really impacts sales ability to be successful. It gives you the freedom and it gives you, it empowers you and it gives you the confidence to be able to confidently decline cases and matters when you know you ought to decline cases and matters. Marketing is everything that gets done to bring the right kind of prospective client to the door in the right quantity at the right time in the right frame of mind so that they're pre-qualified, pre-screened, pre-educated. And ultimately, if you do this right, the prospective new client arrives already predisposed to hire the firm which makes the whole sales process much more enjoyable for all concerned. Of course, to create a marketing system, a marketing plan, uh, a coherent marketing plan that brings the right kind of prospective clients to the door, you have to first take the time to be thoughtful and identify and define in writing what is the right kind of client for this law firm. And just as importantly, what is the description of the wrong kind of prospective client for this law firm? Because if you can't describe the right kind of clients and the wrong kind of clients, then you're never going to be able to delegate any part of the process to anyone else, and you're always going to be stuck in the middle of it yourself as the owner of the firm. And that's a recipe for not being a happy lawyer if you have to be stuck in the middle of the marketing all the time. That really makes a lot of sense. And it sounds like we could probably do an entire show or series of shows just on that one concept. 
Well, you know, we, we do our live quarterly meetings and all of our members, we, we, we function as the outside CEO for hundreds of law firms all over the country, solo lawyers at all the different stages of growth engage our services to function as the CEO of their law firm because they understand that every business needs to have a CEO and they didn't teach us anything in law school about how to be the CEO of a business, certainly not a law firm. And uh, once a quarter, we bring all of our members together and about once a year, we will devote the entire live quarterly meeting to the subject of nothing but marketing. Wow. And probably only still get part of it. Then. There's a lot to this. Yeah. So, but let's, so we get all seven parts in, in the time that we've got, um, how does you, you, you mentioned that marketing at the end of the day is about getting the right kinds of clients, the kinds you want to work with to the door, to sales. So that sale in a consistent way, so that sales can make the choices that they should make. Talk to us a little bit about what that is. What is sales? Uh, well, sales is the process of converting a prospective client into a paying client. And I just want to say one last thing about marketing before we shift over to sales. Sure. And that is one of the main things that marketing is supposed to do for the business is to keep the wrong kind of prospective clients out of the sales process so that the sales process doesn't get choked by meeting with the wrong kind of prospective new clients. You know, if you're the person on the front lines meeting with prospective new clients that the marketing process is delivering, and the marketing process is delivering unfiltered prospective new clients to you, it's going to be very, very not fun, let's just say. It yeah. can even be very demoralizing to get to the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the month, and you're just burned out because you're meeting with the wrong kinds of people, and they've got the wrong kinds of cases. And they got the wrong kind of attitude and the wrong kind of expectations. And they're asking questions that could have and should have been answered and, and, and filtered them out by the marketing process. And then you are like, you're going dull. All of your brilliance, all of your energy, all of your creativity and enthusiasm. It's like, it's like using the most, it's like using a wonderful sword as a hammer and dulling it with every single blow against the iron. And, and that's what it's like. It, I'm sorry? Probably at, at some point after meeting with enough of the wrong types of clients, they start to get tempted to take some. Well, you get desperate for cash flow, and so the next thing you know, you're taking someone who you know you shouldn't be taking. Okay. Or what happens is you're so worn out from just meeting with a, this, this deluge of the wrong kind of prospective new clients that – you stop really, you lose your edge. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. You lose your edge and you stop noticing the telltale signs of a crazy person. <laughs> or you start getting so jaded that you say, oh, everyone's a crazy person. And you're not able to really truly enjoy the, the rewards, the personal satisfaction, the, 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 the joy of really connecting with a prospective client and helping them find a, 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 a helping them find a solution to their problem. It's one of the most rewarding things to do in life is to help someone find a solution to a problem that's been really bothering them or help them find an opportunity help them find a way to take advantage of an opportunity that could really improve their lives. 
and, and this is one of the great joys of sales. The problem, of course, is number one, they didn't teach us anything in law school about sales. Number two, everyone thinks that sales is like a dirty word because they think selling is something you do to a client instead of something you do for a client, for another person. Uh, and number three, if the sales is coming, if the sales is coming at the end of a poorly designed, poorly managed, maybe no one's ever even taken the time, maybe no one has ever even taken the time to put it all out into a flow chart of a, of a marketing process, then the sales can never really be fun because it basically just becomes, you know, a process of sifting through garbage to find the gold. Yeah. So let's take just a couple of minutes to describe. I think you've, you've, you've described sales as the process of turning these prospects into actual clients, and you've described it as something we do for our clients. Could you talk about that a little bit more deeply? What, what, are, what do you mean by selling for our clients? Sadly, tragically, and I mean that sincerely, tragically, uh, there, are, there are hundreds of thousands of lawyers running around out there right now who have never taken a real class in their life on how to sell. And we have a whole workshop on the mindset of selling. And then we have all kinds of programs on the technical skills of how to sell consistently, predictably, reliably in a way that makes you feel good. It makes the client feel good. And sales is very simply, it's a very simple process. And it's very simply a process of helping people find clarity find clarity about where they are today in terms of their financial situation, in terms of their personal situation, in terms of their professional situation, helping them find clarity today in terms of where they are today in terms of their money, helping them find clarity today in terms of where they are in terms of their time and in terms of their reputation. And every client who comes to see a lawyer is concerned about at least these three things. They might be concerned about more, but at the very least, their time, their money, and their reputation. And they're not always equal, and they're not always in the same prior priority, and they're not always carrying the same weight. But until and unless you've helped a prospective client to articulate and to, to themselves and to you where they are in terms of their time, their money, and their reputation, you're not really in a position to help them. And very often, if you can just help a person articulate and find clarity about where they are today so they're not lost and confused, then you can help them weigh their options. Well, here are the different options that are available to you. Let's think about the pros and the cons of each of these options. And that alone can give someone great relief and great joy. Chris, you know, we're, we're renovating a building that we just acquired. Mm -hmm. And um, we're working with uh, engineers and we're working with general contractors and the, the, the permitting process that the city has is tremendously confusing and intimidating to me. And mm -hmm. I'm a pretty sophisticated person, but this is not my area of expertise, building permits. Right. And I find it very, very intimidating and I find it very, very uncomfortable and I'm like a fish out of water and we've got hundreds of thousands of dollars that we're dealing with in terms of renovation budgets. And it was such a joy for me. It was it literally made me feel better. My life was better when I had a very simple conversation with a consultant 
who basically just helped me think through where I am today in terms of the project, because it was just like out of control in my mind, and then helped me think through some options. We could take this option, and it would take six months to a year and probably cost this much. We could take the second option, and it would probably take three to six months, and it would cost that much. Or there was this third option that would be the most, uh, the, the highest expense, but it would be the fastest. And, you know, of course, for me, I value my time more than the money because the money is, you know, when you know how to run a business, the money is easy to get. What you can't get more of is time. And I'm beginning to start to suffer with my reputation with my team because I got people sharing offices who ought not to be sharing offices, and there's going to be a mutiny pretty soon. So the point is the, the, the engineer, the consultant, he helped me think through my options, and he helped, and he helped me make my priorities so that I could have confidence in making the decision. And so when the time came for him to ask me to sign the engagement agreement, I was asking him when I could sign the engagement agreement because I was so eager to get started with the option that made the most sense for me because he educated me and he guided me through the process. He didn't just jam it down my throat and tell me what I needed to do. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So what you're saying is that the way he he was able to convert you into a, into a client was by simply helping you understand how working with him was going to make your life better. More even specifically, he was able to convert me into an eager, enthusiastic client who was really, I was like itching to pay him to get started with the process by helping me understand my own situation better and to help me understand my options and by demonstrating to me by the way he took me through the process, that he was obviously the guy. By the time we were done, there was no doubt in my mind that he was the guy to help me because he was the guy that brought me clarity. So we're talking about the seven main parts of every law firm business, and we've covered marketing and sales. And so, Arjun, I'd like to take us right into talking about the third part. And I think you told us that that was the production. Yes, the production are the, the processes, the checklists, the policies, the procedures, uh, that, that actually produces the work product that the law firm has sold to help the client. So the prospective new client comes through the marketing, they get converted from a prospective client into a paying client through the sales process, and now it's time to actually produce the work product. And uh, what you want to do with that is identify the menu items, identify the sales keeping units, identify the products that your business sells. And the more yep. narrowly you can define that, especially in the beginning stages as you're growing a law firm, the easier and more simple, I should say, that this is going to be. And then for each of those processes, for each of those menu items, what you want to have is a list of ingredients and a recipe and instructions. So step one, you crack the egg. Step two, you mix up the batter. Step three, you add, you know, a cup of sugar. Step four, you stick in the oven at 350 degrees for 45 minutes. And step five, a cake comes out the other end. As, as, as difficult as this is to believe for a lot of attorneys, you literally can make 80% of the work product in your business this systematic and organized and reliable. And the 80% that requires total custom creativity the good news is when you do this, what I'm describing with the 80%, it frees up so much time and so much energy 
to be really creative with the stuff that can't be systematized that way. That's what we mean by production. It allows the, the lawyer, the specialist, to really focus their creative time on that 20%. Exactly. Instead of wasting their time, wasting their brilliance, being the best stamp liquor in the office. <laughs> Indeed. And so, so basically what we're talking about here is the third part is delivering those services that marketing promised and that sales converted the, the prospect into a client to receive. You got it. Excellent. So then that, that's production. What brings us to the fourth uh, part of the law firm? What is that? The fourth part of the law firm is the people. Uh, every law firm has the following positions on staff, even a solo lawyer. Every law firm has a receptionist, a secretary, a paralegal, an associate, a rainmaker, a manager, a CEO, a COO, a CFO, a bookkeeper, and an owner. Every law firm has these 11 positions on staff. The problem is that struggling law firms, what you find when you go back and you look at what's going on and what's going wrong is you discover that many of these positions are calling in sick a lot. Hmm. And some of the people, when they come into work, they come into work and they don't have any documented processes and they don't have any clear job descriptions and they don't have the benefits of checklists and all the things that we just talked about in the production, they don't have. And so when they come to work, they're inefficient, and then they end up having to work late hours and have to work on the weekends and have to go home grouchy because they had to go to work somewhere where no one really laid out or engineered for them how the job was supposed to get done. And just because you're a solo lawyer sitting in your office by yourself, maybe still in the first stage of growth, does not excuse you from the responsibility and to, to, to take the time to think through and document these different positions. And if you ever want to extricate yourself from the job of receptionist, the, you, the, the first thing you better do is pretend like you're really a separate person doing the job as a receptionist and then document that job so that when it comes time to hire the receptionist, you've got a package of a job description, a, a, a package you can plug that person into. And the same thing with the receptionist and the secretary and the paralegal and the associate and so on and so forth. Great. So yeah, I was just going to ask you, I mean, a lot of our listeners are going to be saying, hey, it's just me or it's just me and my assistant. I don't have 11 people working here. What you're saying is you've got the jobs. Do you want it to always be you? Do you want to never have anyone working for you? Do you want to always be in a position where you say, I'm not yet ready to hire someone? If you, ever, if you want to extricate yourself from a job, then do the job as if it was someone else doing the job. Document how the job's getting done. Write down your instructions for how the job's getting done. Make your checklists. And then when you interview someone, you can understand this is exactly the job that I'm going to plug this person into. And this is how this job is supposed to make a profit for the law firm. And this is how the job is supposed to make a profit for the clients. And this is how the job is supposed to make a profit for the owner of the firm. Fantastic. So the people work to make the production happen for the stuff that sales converted the client's uh, to, to receive that marketing brought to the door. So that's, that's, we've got the marketing sales production and people that's four. what's the fifth part. Fifth part is a physical plant. This is all the stuff that the people need to do the job that you've engineered for them to do. The obvious part of the physical plant is obviously the location, the desks, the chairs, the computers, the software. But one of the parts of the physical plant that's most important 
And when the day comes that you're going to get ready to sell your law firm, and everyone should be running their law firm as if they're preparing it to be sold someday, when that day comes, the most valuable part of the physical plant is actually going to be the processes, the policies, the systems, the procedures, the checklists, the written instructions for how things are supposed to get done. That's got real market value, and that's part of the physical plant. That's the intellectual property of the business. That's why we put that in the category of physical plant. Physical plant also includes your marketing lists, your prospective new clients, your potential referral sources, your list of former clients who are your very best marketing source for new business, by the way. Okay. Well, that, that, that totally – so at the end of the day, the physical plant is kind of the tools that, that get used to make the production happen, by, that get, get used by the people to make the production happen. Which such production is necessary for delivering the work product that the sales has sold, that the marketing has brought in the prospective clients for. Correct. Excellent. All right. And then the sixth part you were talking about, I think when you gave the, the upfront, when you described all seven parts, had to do with the money and the metrics. Correct. Financial controls and metrics. Yeah. Um, every law firm ought to be operating with a written 12-month forward-looking budget. Go all over the country. We speak to thousands of lawyers who are struggling and having challenges, and we ask them, do you, do you have a budget? And some of them will just admit, no, I don't have a budget at all. And some of them will say, yeah, yeah, I have a budget. And then you start to look at what they have, and what they have is really a log, an historical record of what they've earned and what they spent. That is not what a budget is. A budget is a forward-looking tool. It projects your revenue for each month of the next 12 months. It projects your expenses in each category of expense each month for the next 12 months. And people say, well, how can I project my revenue? And the answer is, we go back to talking about the marketing plan. People right. who don't understand how to predict and project the revenue are, are basically giving off a sign. It's like a tell that they don't have a marketing plan and they don't have a real sales system. If you have a marketing plan and a sales system, you are able to project or to predict your revenues for the future. Excellent. Budget. Excellent. Second is budget variance report. Yeah. That's a comparison between what you projected on the budget against what actually ended up happening right. with a percentage difference and an understanding of why was there a difference between what you projected versus what actually happened and understand the reasons why. That's a budget variance report. Okay. And then you want to have a cash flow projection, an accounts receivables report, an aged accounts receivables report, a cash position report, and a work-in-process report so you can value, you can put a number, a valuation, on the work that is in process now that's not yet ready to be billed. And I know I'm just going to have to have you back to, to go through all those more in more in depth. Or maybe at the end, you can also give uh, a way that, that some of our listeners can get some resources regarding this from, uh, from your website. I've seen that you have some of those out there. But let's get to in the couple of minutes we have left. The seventh main part you said is you, is the person, is the owner of the law firm. What do you mean by that? How is that part of the business? The business is ultimately going to be a manifestation of who you are. And the business ultimately is going to – the business is never going to be able to grow bigger than your aspirations and your goals and your dreams 
and your willingness to actually make real plans. Um, so it really all revolves around you as the owner, and it exists to give you a better life. So it's incumbent upon you, therefore, to take the time to think about what that better life really has to be for you to be happy. So we go around the country and we speak to thousands of lawyers every year, and we've been doing this for many years. So we're talking into the tens, many tens of thousands of lawyers that we ask this question. It's a very simple question. And very predictably, we get the wrong answer, which is to say people answer a different question than the question which we ask. And the question, which is a very simple question, is how do you want to live? How do you want to be living? What house do you want to be living in? What car do you want to be driving? What kind of vacations do you want mm -hmm. to be taking? What kind of education do you want to be able to provide to your children? What kind of insurance do you want to provide to protect your family? What kind of savings do you want to enjoy? What kind of philanthropic uh, activities do you want to be able to fund? How do you want to be living? And the answer that we get is I can get by on this. Right. I can make do with that. This is all I really need. And there, there's this whole mindset of doing without and sacrificing as if building a smaller, less successful law firm somehow is a safer bet. <laughs> uh, but in fact, uh, in fact, a, a larger law firm, a million-dollar law firm, does a lot more good for a lot more people than a struggling $200,000 law firm. And a million-dollar solo law firm is actually easier to run than a $200,000 law firm, which no one with a $200,000 law firm believes, but it's still true. No, it seems counterintuitive, right? It sounds like a lot more work. It's a lot less work for the owner of a million-dollar solo law firm because the owner of a million-dollar solo law firm has about $500,000 of operating capital with which to buy leverage. The owner of a million-dollar solo law firm has an associate to go and handle the routine hearings. The owner of a million-dollar solo law firm has a paralegal to do a whole bunch of the preliminary work. The owner of a million-dollar solo law firm has an executive assistant to take a lot of the routine stuff off of his or her back. The owner of a million-dollar law firm has a marketing budget and someone to help them execute the marketing budget to bring a steady stream of prospective clients in the door. And so, therefore, the owner of a million-dollar law firm has a lot more energy and a lot more time and a lot more enthusiasm to do the things that only the owner of a million-dollar law firm can do, to, to live in your unique brilliance, which ultimately is what's going to make you the most happy, and it's also what's going to make you the most money. So it's actually easier to run a million-dollar law firm than it is to run a $200,000 law firm. And, and you can get from 500000 to a million faster than you can get from 250000 to 500000 Just like you can get from 250000 to 500000 in gross revenues faster than you can get from zero to $250,000 in revenue. Because as you go, the whole business starts to, take on, starts to, starts to gain momentum. And you start to gain more resources with which you can grow the firm faster and buy leverage. Well, clearly, I'm going to have to have, figure out a way to get you to come back on and talk about some of this stuff more deeply because those are, those are amazing concepts that you can actually grow 
a law firm from zero to 250, then to 500 more quickly, and then to a million from there even more quickly. And I'm sure the listeners would love to hear more about that. However, we're at the end of our time. Arjun, what I'd like to ask you to do is to give, until the time we can get you to give more of this information on the show, where can users find out more information about growing their law firm and about how to manage a small law firm? We have some complimentary resources available for listeners of your show available on our website, and they're organized based on the stage of growth that their law firm is in. So if any of your visitors uh, want to go to howtomanageasmalllawfirm.com, if your revenues are still in the first stage of growth, zero to $250,000, there are some resources specifically to help you address the unique challenges of growing a firm through that stage of growth. And the second stage of growth, 250 to 500,000 and 500,000 to a million and over a million, there are some very specific resources to address each of those specific things at the website, how to manage a small law firm.com. Fantastic. And that wraps up this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Business Advisory Podcast. Our guest today again has been R. John Robbins of How to Manage a Small Law Firm. And as he said, he can uh, more information for our listeners and some complimentary materials are available at howtomanageasmalllawfirm.com. This is Christopher Anderson, and I look forward to seeing you next month with another great guest as we learn more about the topics that help us build the law firm business that works for you. Remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app.